I'm CJ. And this is Harry Potter Movie Minutes. The podcast where two friends break down the movies of the wizarding world in excruciating detail and obnoxious commentary. (laughs) Thanks for listening. No. She talked to me. Did she? Son of a bitch. It really is only when we have guests. Yes. so weird. Then Jane wants to alert the room. Maybe she has to do that or something like that because it's like a legal thing or she's like legally a, obligated maybe if it's more than two yeah. people yeah that's yeah maybe yeah. whatever she's full anyway. of shit but hey good to see you hello <laughs> hi welcome oh uh, how are you this week oh i'm fine um we have a person with us there's another human here we love that when that happens hi paul hi i'm so excited to be back <laughs> we're so back happy popular demand so happy to have you back we actually referenced you at one point this season and we said it's kind of weird this movie we haven't needed paul to come in and turn it around for us like we actually like this movie <laughs> we didn't <laughs> you came into three and made us have like a better appreciation for three i might i can my goal this episode be to turn you around and convince you that i don't like this yes movie? yes okay. i love that <laughs> yes okay <laughs> because no. because I, I will say just like getting into this one thrilled to be back Two, yeah. this was my favorite book and three one of my favorite books in that if we were to look at the first three as sort of like three separate books and then the like last four as like different books because like that's when they got really long like I feel like this is my favorite long one if that makes sense like this is my favorite one that is like wow there is depth beyond teenagers like fighting crime you know or like right. teenagers like getting through things like I was like this has levels and so I was so excited for this movie that this one just like sent me backwards so far like so we'll get we'll get into it we'll get into it I'm intrigued yeah I'm I'm very intrigued because I have the opposite okay okay so getting us back into the chunk um we had just had Voldemort come back to life we said via his kind of aliens transformation when he comes out of the cauldron in that weird blob shape um he's become a person revisit that I can't as the flesh baby we're not going to talk about it so Voldemort now has a wand um that he got from Wormtail and I said he activates his dark mark tattoo I guess that's how he he puts the wand to it and it does it move yeah yeah it moves okay it's squiggly it's a squiggly little guy so it moves but I guess I had some questions this time that I don't think I've looked at it this closely before I said so this now generates a cloud dark mark in the sky but then the snake that erupts from the cloud dark mark in the sky out of its mouth is actually the Death Eaters? Yeah, I think that that summarizes what's happening here. <laughs> I thought it was just a snake. And then this time I noticed that the snake like pings off and becomes Death Eaters. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That That is one of the reasons why I think I don't love this movie as much because there were these visions I had from the book. And this, I wouldn't say that this is like a book bitch at all, but it's like how I viewed it is right. It's like, it's this snake that sort of like, it is a cloud in shape, right? But then it separates into the Death Eaters and they all sort of like appear as almost yeah. like an army. It's not like the snake retching and throwing up Death Eaters. <laughs> I, know. I know, that would maybe be better though. <laughs> yeah, it was it was interesting. Um, so I said, okay, then these smoky Death Eaters begin to land around the graveyard and Voldemort addresses all of them. Oh, I said, I just realized in this viewing that Cedric is still in view in this scene, just sprawled out. And I said, what a weird scene for him to shoot. <laughs> like, hey, oh. so you're you're dead. Just stay sprawled out. Just stay right here. Okay, scene. <laughs> Try I mean, not they, to move. Yeah. They do like to have those camera angles to make sure that people know, like, the Triwizard Cup is still sitting over there. 
Cedric's dead. Just so you know. Like we, just the stuff is still here. we just saw it. We just Yeah, we're, we're good. I don't need to see. Oh, and then also here's his dead body in case you forgot. I'm like, no, I'm good. Yeah. It's yeah. so uh, interesting the way that he introduces the Death Eaters. Like, he's, like, pulling off their masks and, like, yelling at them. You know, and I'm so, like. That's my next note. I said, why are the masks screaming? <laughs> he pulls this. The, he pulls. I said, I'm sorry. So he pulls the skull masks off that scream each time. I said, does this hurt them? As he's calling them by name, because they all kind of drop and like, like, I don't know, wince like it does hurt them. Why? <laughs> and like, Lucius doesn't like let you see it that it really hurts him. He just sort of drops to his knees. But then like the masks like sort of wisp away in smoke. And I'm like, that's a lot of merchandise to go through Voldemort. Like, who's your supplier <laughs> for that? Like, like, I don't know. I also just I remember this moment being like, you're finally, fe- you're finally figuring out that like. Crab's dad is also a Death Eater. You're finally figuring out, I think like Goyle's dad too is like whatever. Yeah. It, that, and this is a little bit of a book, but it's like a mild one. It's like, like a like, and you're like, it, it's just so quick. It's like, if you're not familiar with these last names, that makes no sense to you. But what you're realizing is like all these kids in Slytherin, like their parents are Death Eaters. Like, and that is a huge reveal, or it was for me reading the books. So I was like, wow, like, like, yes, I always knew that these, like, families were kind of evil and, like, connected, but it's like, wow, no, they are full-blown committed to the Dark Lord. And yeah. their kids are with Harry every single day. But it's, it doesn't let the moment land, though. Yeah, we, we just kind of skate through it. In fact, it, it's, it's actually very drawn out in the book, where he kind of walks around in the circle and he addresses all of the empty spaces, saying, this is where so-and-so stood. He died doing this. These people are in Azkaban, whatever. Uh, And like you said, we're reintroduced to all of these names that we're already familiar with. uh, But because we like skate by them so quickly, and also because for whatever reason, he decides to pronounce them in his whatever dialect this is. um, Some of them are slightly unintelligible. (laughs) It's like, I noticed that this viewing that he says something like "gaga gaga Nick McNair." Like I'm like, I'm sorry, did you like, did you forget the name? Like he just made it up. So he's like "gaga McNair." I'm like, no, I okay. There are certain things that stick with me from this franchise of movies. Like this is one of them. Like the amount of times that I'll like say something and I'll be like "gaga McNair." Like, and what you realize what he's actually doing? Like he's just expressing angst. He's not saying anybody's name. He's saying "crab ah McNair," and it's like what? Is there not a name there? I don't believe there's a name there. I don't know. But this is one of those things that is just so quotable to me because that dialect, as you said, <laughs> is a level of unhinged lack of enunciation I've never heard before. I have a question in that, do we think the likeness to, like the, sorry, the the, the robes or, or crown or cone head or whatever the Death Eaters are wearing, do you think that this was an intentional likeness to the KKK? I thought that today. Was that... I, you, you don't accidentally make something that looks like a KKK uniform. Like, Correct. Even and in they, are, they are against a race. <laughs> yes. Against muggle-born, so... They are pure bloods. Uh, yeah, it's right? definitely a racial prejudice. I think that it's reasonable that it would be echoed uh, in For that sure. way. Um, and I was doing some interesting digging about, and we were, I was thinking about this as the masks were being ripped off because there was an element of anonymity to being a Death Eater. There, there was a point of, like, the reason that they are masked is not only to keep their identity secret from the people that they're tormenting or terrorizing, but also from one another so that if one of them is turned, you know, they can't just sing out. Um, 
And so it, it, it's kind of peculiar in this moment that both in the movie and in the book, he's kind of going around in the circle and calling everybody out by their name. <laughs> but he skipped one person. Who? Oh. I don't know. There's just some random chick next to Lucius that just kind of hides her face. Oh, she really? Get, I she totally get a name. missed that. Don't worry about no. her. That, that wasn't Mrs. Malfoy? I forget what her first name is again. Narcissa? Narcissa. Oh, Narcissa? Oh, what is Maybe her? it was and she just hadn't been cast yet. So like, don't show your face. <laughs> You're a stand-in. Because <laughs> 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 I do have a comment about the number of Death Eaters in the scene that I had some issues with. The, did you catch the one that was uh, walking around behind in the back? <laughs> so initially, so I paused it today, when he's initially addressing them and saying, confessing himself disappointed, there are seven total. Besides him. Seven. Okay? I think I said counting Wormtail. There's seven. No, seven plus Wormtail. Sorry. So there are seven. He only names five. Like I said, skip whoever stand in Narcissa, maybe. Sure. Um, but he doesn't end up at Lucius, like we talked about. Lucius drops to his knees and just is kind of stiff. Um, and so he pulls off his hood to reveal some absolutely wild hair as he defends himself, saying he's never renounced the old ways, etc. Up creeps Wormtail, <laughs> cowering with his remaining arm, whimpering that he returned um, then he like cowers like a dog when Voldemort approaches him, but then and then Voldemort admits like you have been helpful. I said then Voldemort actually does pet him like a dog a little bit. He, I, was, I think it's one of the first times where you see like the abusive side of Voldemort. Like not only is he evil, right, but he also has this level of like crazy, manipulative, abusive. Like like he's like, but I returned. Oh, like he's like like. Wormtail's giving like full fear face in this moment, but also like admiration, and it it it, it it's one of I would say like the demented sides of Voldemort that I feel like they this characterization does get really well. That I also feel was probably hard to convey in the books. Like I feel you kind of need some of the body movement to, yeah. to get yeah. the the pieces of it or to see his interactions with the other characters. Like so, I feel like that was one of the things like they got right with this. But it's also like, you get a sense of how abusive he is when he's like, oh, the other arm worm tail. And you're like, just give him the arm before you call the rest of them. You know? Like, yes, we talked about that. I said, like, you know, he looks so hopeful for a minute. And he's like, no, your other arm. And I'm like, he's got such a disregard for him. I said, who was just carrying him like a baby and feeding him with bottles like a baby. But now I have a body. Fuck you. <laughs> other arm. I'm like, oh, God. Exactly. He's in his glow up face. Fuck you. <laughs> he's upgraded. I, I mean, I do remember being a little confused about why they would bother to include this. Um, obviously, when this film came out, the last book hadn't come out, so we didn't know how important it was that we saw Voldemort give Wormtail that new hand. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a weird moment of like, because it's almost like for the first time, like Wormtail is standing up for himself, which he doesn't do, especially around anyone that has any kind of dominance. But he's standing up for himself in that, like, I did this really only for the fact that he knows he's supposed to be repaid in some way. And I think he's doing it because there's an audience. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Like, hey, look, guys, I was I was here. And then I think only now does Voldemort reward him because there's an audience. Hey, look how, is it called Beneful? Is that what I'm trying to say? Yes. Benevolent. <laughs> Beneful is a dog brand. Uh, dog, dog food. How... <laughs> just a, a bad youtube video about it um just to show like how benevolent he is and he's i said then voldemort now awards him now there's an audience to show how great he is with the terminator hand <laughs> right and and that echoes yeah literally the terminator hand the and that echoes hell. sort of like voldemort when he's talking to harry about 
you know, I want to kill you. And I, I, as a merciful Lord, I obliged as you begged for death. And I'm like, he does have this desire for like, like, like he wants to be revered and he, but he wants to be powerful and demented and evil. And like, it, it is really, I, I think as distracting as the <laughs> accent is, the dialect is, the, <laughs> the, the actual dialogue maybe is a bit, it gives you some clues into his character, I feel like. And I, and I like that, you know, some levels of his character maybe. Well, that's something I never noticed here. Did anybody else notice uh, Voldemort smiles when Wormtail gets his hand? He smirks a little bit. He's like pleased with himself that he's like, master, thank you. And he's smiling a little bit. I'm like, I've never noticed that. That's creepy. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't need him smiling ever, actually. Look at the pretty thing I made. Yeah, he's gross. (laughs) Right. So now to go not pretty, Voldemort then takes his disgusting ass foot and touches Cedric. (laughs) Was everybody else just like, you know, appreciating the prop department and the costume and makeup people here, but also going, did we have to? Did we have to make his toenails clawed and dark? Do we need these like stiletto nails on his toes? I could have brought him some shoes. <laughs> I thought it was so, I really was appreciating it because I, I remember the, the foot to the face like motion. I never looked at the nails though. And it was not until this rewatch that I was like, wow, like they, for the weirdness of sort of <laughs> some of the choices they made in his mannerisms and his sort of like the get up, get up. Like he's like moving his whole body. Like the little details of like the toes. I'm like, oh, you were like totally onto something. But then I'm like, where? Like like also like the, the snake tongue we see like once, just once, just once. I never like, noticed it before until n- this me watch. Me neither. Yeah, I was like, I'm, I'm sorry. His tongue Wait, are you serious? I yes. had never noticed it before. I knew <gasps> it was there from the books. Yeah. But like, right? Because I think it was part of the books. Mm-hmm. And oh. maybe? I don't know. I think you're but, right. I just, I don't remember. But I'm like, I'm like, why didn't we use this more? Like, why didn't we lean into this, like, this, the, the, the physical features of him? The, the nose slits just didn't do it for me in real life. You know, like, they just didn't do it for me <laughs> I really, and I've talked about this before, and I'm sorry, I'll shut up about it. I really wanted the red eyes because that's something yeah. that's talked about ad nauseum in the book. It's mentioned again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Um, the eyes are almost pretty. Weird, they are. Actually, They're almost pretty, in several, actually, in this scene. In I'm several like, moments uh, in Oops. this scene, especially when Harry's lying on the ground and he's talking about, you know, uh, being merciful enough to kill him. There's like this shot that's like, oh, he's almost pretty right now. He's pretty mm-hmm. handsome. <laughs> but there's the background like thing. softened. His skin softened, and it was something really interesting about that. Yeah, he's got a glow, mm-hmm. uh, that j- just reborn glow. Um, but there is something in this uh, hair and makeup team about wizards having really bad hygiene. Remember when we talked about uh, Dumbledore's really disgusting nails in the last movie? <laughs> like fingernails going over the portrait of the fat lady after it was torn. They were like gag worthy. So I don't know, maybe it's a thing. Maybe once you get to a certain point as a wizard, you don't wear underwear. So you just wear a cloak and you right. never clip your nails. <laughs> there, there's gotta be a shower spell, right? Spell. <laughs> it's like if, we, if, if Mrs. Weasley can charm her you know brushes to scrub the pans we can we can charm some sponges to like give somebody give dumbledore a sponge bath here or there or just a spell to scorchify under those fucking fingernails yeah <laughs> yeah anything. literally anything help so this gross moment where voldemort then takes his nasty ass foot and touches cedric's face <laughs> so this is where harry finally draws the line and screams don't touch him because it's offensive not only was he a be- handsome boy or whatever but just don't touch him with your nasty ass foot then 
I said Voldemort at this point then drifts over to Harry, like drifts over kind of in front of him. I said, because this costume is perfect. That like just the way that fabric moves is great as he goes over to face him um, and tells Harry that he's standing on the bones of his father and begins monologuing to the group, explaining that he couldn't kill Harry before when he was a baby because he's protected by his mother's love, but he can touch him now. And again, the overdramatic drawback and the finger going in. <laughs> Choices. Great choices. And the cloak worked so well in that moment. It really, like the like the swing back to touch. I was like, mm, it's so good. Do we do we know how Voldemort knows about the love thing? It, it, was that from like Quirrell in like the first season? Like, or the first, first season? Like oh. first, <laughs> not the we, first season. We talk about ourselves. We talk about these movies. Like it's <laughs> only seasons of the podcast that these movies <laughs> yeah, exist. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't know. How does he? He realizes he couldn't touch him because Harry like puts his hands on Quirrell's face. And then it's like, ah, like I, how did he figure this out? Something to look into. I guess I've always just kind of assumed that it was something that, upon reflecting about his death like he realized his mistake he he figured out what he had done wrong or or what had happened um but i guess you never really know i i don't think it's expressly written anywhere in canon and definitely not in the movies because dumbledore is one that explains it to harry later to harry right Mm -hmm. after quarrel's already schmooshed dead sorry schmooshed (laughs) schmooshed in the sand dead interesting um I like am I the only one who really hates this moment though if you especially if you've read the book and how many times it's described how Harry's head is splitting open and how much it's painful just to be near Voldemort now Voldemort's touching the exact scar that like connects them that that agony that he's experiencing is just it's hard it's hard to watch so like Harry's first reaction his first like guttural reaction is like oh I don't know. Like, I don't I don't know what noise I would make if my head was splitting open. I, I actually don't have a huge issue with that. I take more issue with, like, Voldemort, like, getting off on it. <laughs> then, then, <laughs> then, <sir. laughs> it's another... Like, ah, <laughs> literally. Because it shouldn't be difficult for Voldemort. He's just touching the kid. He's not putting any effort into anything. Why are you grunting? It's right, like, a, like, is he mimicking? Like, is he is, is he, he mocking his pain, or is right. he also experiencing some sort of physical reaction? Right, I can't decide if it's like a, a good hurt or some kind of pleasure, or if he's just deriving pleasure from Harry's pain, or something about this plan that you know is now a decade and a half in the making that has finally come to fruition. Like, okay, yeah, that might feel like a climax. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> all right so actually Corey, this is the moment that we were talking about where when he's when harry's grimacing and when Voldemort's touching his forehead that's when elson's tongue like it's kind of like you can see his tongue is visible but then when he sticks it out it's forked yeah mm-hmm. uh-huh it's insane i've never noticed it before either i didn't realize that you had never noticed that before that's what i was reacting to earlier. does it occur again in the movies um yes during the battle at uh the ministry he does that breath thing uh, where he turns oh. like that giant uh, flame snake turns loose and he sticks out his tongue during that. It's worked. Oh, shit. Okay. okay. Nope. Totally a detail I missed. Okay. So that's disgusting. Voldemort. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> nope. Uh, Voldemort now releases Harry from the statue and yells at him to get up, get up. So now he forces Harry to grab the wands when I said so he can duel this literal child um and forces harry to bow to him and begin the duel i've never noticed at one point a death eater's clapping i okay i caught that too i caught that too i caught that too (laughs) 
206. Two hours, six minutes, 59 seconds. There's a Death Eater. Stop. Like, <laughs> like ah. I, I was like, it, it, he's not moving. He's not jumping. He's not like gleefully doing it. It is a like just polite. A very golf. slow Hercules, Hercules. It's like, what? <laughs> Why though? Why? Unhinged. And I feel like Empire. that's something that Voldemort would have said, please don't do that. Like, <laughs> it also, it wasn't picked, it was so soft, it wasn't picked up in the audio at all. Nope. Like, <laughs> nope. Just a choice. Ugh, I actually love that. I, I'm going to go back and look at it. <laughs> it's really something. So at this point, this is where I got mad. I said, also, do there now seem to be a lot more of the Death Eaters? And I did. I paused and I counted. There are now 12 people. <gasps> 12 little pointy hats. I'm like, I'm sorry, where'd you come from? 12 little pointy hats. At, at one point, you see one walking in the background, but yes. there's only one. There's only one. Right. But in the group that's like behind him as he's starting yeah. to duel him, there's 12. I'm like, I'm sorry, where did five more people come from? And also, like, would you not get tortured because you were late? I feel like he does torture people in other movies, or maybe that's just the book where he tortures people with, for being late. Why didn't they get their screaming masks pulled off? Like, why is it okay that they just slink in? Like, <laughs> this is the I meanest know. professor you know. You can't come to class late. Like, exactly. Exactly. literally kill you. There's also a moment here where we see Wormtail running and going to hide in the back in, like, the little house where, like, the, you know, pot was, like, the where he was, like, holding the baby and where he, like, came out of. Oh, really? We, what? we see Wormtail sort of, like, cower and walk back, very small. And then he is standing, watching. And then all of a sudden, gone. <laughs> It's like, was he on a smoke break? Like, I was like, what's going on here? What's going on here? It's like, it's like you see him running to the back, then he's not there, then he is there standing and watching, and then all of a sudden they cut back and he's gone. I was like, okay, I get he is like a fearful, maybe he ran inside. I feel like that detail should have been conveyed for those of us who are watching in the background. Yeah. He's not that fast. Yeah. No. What were you going to say, Corey? I, well, first of all, I love that and I totally missed it. Totally missed that. Um, I feel like this goes back to the like shifting numbers at the Yule Ball or like anytime there's a scene in the Great Hall at one moment there are like 400 kids there and then the next moment there are 50. Um, it's really just this this is kind of maybe a moment that they could have paid better attention to it. I, I don't I'm know. saying I don't think Voldemort would have been cool. If like, oh, you, you showed a blade. That's OK. Like, no, he would have. <laughs> no, no, no. So Voldemort begins to use the Cruciatus curse on Harry and taunts him about his parents, which was awful. Um, Harry tries to use Expelliarmus when he said something about his, <laughs> your mama joke um, to disarm Voldemort. Wait. But I said, hmm? Sorry, when he's using the Cruciatus curse, am I the only one that hears him say, I feel like he says Crucian and Crucioff. <laughs> like, I thought, I thought there was a like, weird It is affect. very like, Crucioff! Yeah. And I'm like, wait, oh, no. did you just say on and off? Did anybody have the subtitles on? I have, so it, it's not in the subtitles, obviously. Uh, but like, I have thought that since the actual first time I watched this movie. I'm like, yep. So it's kind of how he plays it. Is, like, yeah. is it like, Crucio is like, I'm going to do it. And then Crucia, like, does it end in an the A? I tense. thought the same thing. Is yes. it past tense? Like, yes. Crucia. Have we ever heard a spell being ended like that? But, but yes, probably. But. Not not I mean, actually said out loud. The <laughs> only thing that comes to mind is like Lumos and Knox. That's all I can think of too. Lumos and Knox, like that. And uh, how do we feel about Daniel Radcliffe's acting during the Cruciatus Curse? <laughs> you know, again, think about if you had to be on a stage surrounded by a bunch of adults and now it's like, no, ride in pain. Like I probably would not do a great job. I'd be like, oh, 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 oh. Fair, fair. <laughs> I 
couldn't do as good. Of, he's a convincing. He goes through a lot of pain in these movies, and I think he does that pretty well. He does. Okay. He does okay. ugly cry in a little bit. He ugly cries when he like he says a your mama kind of thing like like your filthy mud blood. I want to say mug blood. That's not right. Your mud filthy blood. mud blood mother. That's when Harry gets pissed and does the Expelliarmus charm or Expelliarmus spell at Voldemort. But then Voldemort, I said, kind of wraps him in red light. Maybe knows this this time. And Harry doesn't lose his wand. So did he send? He's just blocking it. Right. Yeah. But it's like a red. But it's like a red circle of light, like wraps around him and spins him away. I'm like, what? (laughs) Never seen that before. That was different. Yeah, it's really unclear what that is. It looks cool. It does. Um, but there's not really an explanation of, you know, beyond obviously he blocked the spell uh, in some way, as you guys already pointed out, you can deduce that it, he didn't throw it back at Harry because Harry holds onto his wand. Um, I don't I, I think that this is just a moment of that looks cool. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so say, we're going to take a little liberty there. Um, choice. That's correct. So Harry now hightails it behind a gravestone. Uh, <laughs> I did right. And yes, there are more people. Twelve. Um, Voldemort, <laughs> I'm so pr- proud of myself, I can count. Uh, Voldemort yells now at Harry, he goes, come out and face me, like, I want to see the light leave your eyes, and I actually always love this moment where Harry kind of steals himself, gets up, and goes, fine, <laughs> fine, mm-hmm. let's do this, have it your way then, and they each cast their spells, and the beam meets in the middle, as said, to create molten spell lava in the middle. Yes. And it yes. starts to be, That's... like, welding. This is the first time we see this, isn't it? This is the first time we see this. Yes. And probably only. Or no, what do we see they, in the final movie? Final they battle, reuse but... it. Uh, they actually reuse it in the battle at the Ministry as well. Um, oh. Dumbledore and Voldemort's wands connect there. I gotta um, rewatch that. Which, I know, oh. I've forgotten so much. Yeah. <sighs> that battle was not everything that I wanted it to be, but in many ways it's glorious. Not yeah. even fucking close to what I wanted it to be. <laughs> no. <laughs> there are a lot of things that are right out of the book, but I think that they should have taken more of those things. Um, yes. And I also think it's upsetting that they reuse that because this is something that should be specific just to this moment. And yes. Maybe this, at the this, end. At least the color of the spell when it meets, because it's supposed to be a golden beam, yes? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. When the that two said, this is fucking cool. Like, I, I love that you said molten, because that's the exact adjective that I chose. Um, I said molten metal instead of molten lava, but hey, close enough. Um <laughs> Not exactly what I pictured in my brain when I read it, but I, I love this. I was like creaming in my pants as a teenager when I watched this. I do. I will. I will say I I didn't like this interpretation, but I don't know any other way to do it. How else mm. do you do it? Like, I think when I when I read the book, what I pictured when their wands sort of like met, I got more of like the wands vibrating. Like I got more of their hands shaking. Like maybe it got quiet for whatever reason. And cause it was like piercing, like you couldn't hear it. But, but I, I feel like, how do you replicate that Yeah. in this movie? I think they did the right thing. Right. It's like, cause do you think you're like, is Harry going to get it? No, he's not. And then it's like, boom, they stop him. Like for, for somebody who hasn't dissected this multiple times as somebody reading it, it's fucking cool. Like it is yeah. cool. It's, it's yeah. very cool. Yeah. Well, like, like right after Voldemort tells his squad to do nothing, he's mine. Like right at that moment when he's like, "No, this is mm-hmm. between you and me." That's when the web kind of erupts around them, which I, I wrote to him like, "Not gold, but it's okay." Um, right. But the- <laughs> I wanted, you know, I wanted the gold strands fracturing off 
Did anybody else picture like the playground piece of equipment when you were a kid? Yeah. Go inside of and play in like monkey bars, like over. That's what I pictured. Yes. Fall and you get the wind knocked out of you. Yes, Yes. that. (laughs) Exactly that. Yeah. But made of light. That's what I pictured it being. So when this was just kind of wispy, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I I liked it. it. It it captured what the moment was, but it 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 was not as magical as like I needed it to be, and the characters were not as clear as I needed them to be. Like yeah. I struggled. I struggled with that. It, you know, it throws up this like force field and we get this idea that they are you know, in their own little world in this moment, essentially. Um, but I go back to what you said. It, it, I don't know that they could have done it another way, um, yeah. particularly like, you know, those who have read the books know that they're, you know, among this along the string that's connecting the two wands. There are these, you know, little golden balls or whatever that they're able to push back and forth. And we kind of get a hint of that with like where that center point where they're moving or they're meeting eventually moves back, you know, moves back and forth between the two of them. But we don't like fully understand that that then is what, you know, causes to happen next. What happens next? I won't jump us forward too far. Um, so, you know, the, the stickler for the text in me once that the realist yeah. in me is like, what are they going to, it would have been really boring. as just like one solid stream of light with these like balls mo- moving back and forth. Mm-hmm. Nobody <laughs> actually wants to watch that. Um, kind of like a Newton's cradle to just learn, the yes, term. Exactly. Just learn that yeah. term. So at this point, the, I said the blue ghosts of Voldemort's last kills are erupting out of Voldemort's wand. Um, and we see uh, Cedric first, Frank Bryce and Harry Potter's mother and father then land on either side of Harry. His father explains they can linger only for a moment to give Harry some time, but he has to get back to the so two-way court key. Corey, okay. hold off. Hold so on. I, I, <laughs> I, that's not what I want to talk about. Oh, what? <laughs> you get into your court key thing. I'm like, yes! <laughs> Uh, I was just going to point out that we're, you know, this phenomenon that's happening here is priori incantatum. If this is truly regurgitating Voldemort's previous spells, we should have seen Wormtail's hand. That's described in the books. Um, And we should have seen Bertha Jorkins. And the really fun fact about this moment is that in the original print of the book, uh, James actually appeared before Lily, which is obviously incorrect. James was killed before Lily, so Lily should if we're going in reverse order, effectively yep. come first. It was corrected later in subsequent printings, but now those original printings with the error are like huge collector's items and worth millions. So I, ugh, I'm so happy that you like, you got into the birth of Jorkins of it all because that's, that's my gripe, right? With this, with this movie is, that, and I'm sure you may have covered parts of this. When you take out people like Ludo Bagman, you know, and I, and I don't know, you guys may have oh. talked about Oh, yes. Like when you cut out people like that, who to me are very like almost like Hunger Games-esque people, like the guy who played the announcer on Hunger Games could have done a fantastic job as Ludo Bagman because it's essentially like the same role. But like when you take out that person, you're forced to take out somebody like Bertha Jorkins, right? And this is like my biggest book bitch of the episode is because like what you learn about Voldemort getting stronger is that people people go missing, right? Like, like, like there's mysterious disappearances and nobody knows why. And throughout the books, you have this sort of like, Bertha Jorkins is missing. You hear Albania and then you remember back from like, oh, season or season. Oh my God, I keep doing that. <laughs> See, you're welcome. Like book, like book one, you're like, oh, he's like, yeah, there's like rumors he's in Albania, right? Cause he's like getting stronger. And is that where Coral meets him, whatever? And she like ran into Peter Pettigrew. They went for a stroll in the woods. And I remember the mysterious of that subplot 
in that book being just so like, oh, this guy's fucking evil. And he is coming. Like he is like, he is full stop going to come back in this book with like full force. Like, and I just felt like that's where you lose, you know, Ludo. That's where you miss Winky. You know, you miss like all of these kind of like side characters that really would be confusing to a viewer. But it is my like, we get Frank Bryce, but I'm like, what about Bertha? What about gossipy, brainless <laughs> Bertha? Like, like, who I just, it frustrates me. It frustrates well, me. Well, and when you think about it, the idea that this plot was even able to unfold without her, it, it leaves a huge hole in it. They find out everything from Bertha Jorkins. They yes. find out about the tournament. That's how they hatch this whole plan is from the information that they get from torturing and killing her. And so it's like, we just took out a corner, uh, a character that was pivotal to the plot in a way that really nobody even thinks about. Like we would not have Crouch Jr. at Hogwarts as Mad-Eye Moody mm -hmm. if they had not captured, tortured, and killed Bertha Jorkins for the information that they got. So yeah, so Harry's dad tells him to get back to the port key. Um, Cedric, which like we, we were complaining about, I thought there would be more solid, but this kind of very fuzzy versions of all these people, but fuzzy Cedric um, asks Harry to take his body back to his mother and tells him to, and then his mother is the one that tells him to let go. And it's kind of cool. I had a weird moment too, but I'm like, oh, this kind of makes sense. Like he has seen them before in the mirror of Erised, but he so quickly trusts these ghost versions of his parents. He's like, oh yeah, absolutely. Yep. Like, and it's such a, it's like an, like an intrinsic, like, of course, okay, I'm going to follow what you say. I'm like, oh, it's kind of heartbreaking too. Um, we're going to get to more heartbreak. Yeah, that is a really good moment, isn't it? Yeah. I think it, I wish it was so much more. Cause like you so want for Harry to get to know his parents like the whole time, right? Like you Even think have he a can ghost bring conversation. Back here, he, exactly. Like, it's like, he gets these ideas that he can bring them back to life. It's like, like, like there's so many moments and you're like, oh, like, especially in this moment, just like, give me more of them, like hand on shoulder, maybe a little bit of a hug. Like, like I'm so proud of you. Anything. <laughs> Isn't there a little bit more to it, Corey, in the book? Yes. I have um, a little bit more of a conversation, I think, with him a bit. Because then even Frank is. Bryce gets a line in where he's like, that guy killed me, he did, <laughs> or something like that. There's a little bit more to this moment, but this is very quick in the movie because, of course, we got we to gotta get going. Yeah, I mean, they're all telling him to hang on and hold on until they tell him not to anymore. That's right. Um, That's right. But in this moment, it's just his mother. So his mother finally tells him to let go. And Harry pulls up, breaks the connection. The ghosts rush Voldemort um, and kind of hide Harry from him for a split second. Harry gets to Cedric and Accio's the port key. Uh, but I got to say, I do love the moment where Voldemort has everybody point to that spot where they just disappeared, holds the wand, throws his head back and howls. It's such a great, <laughs> no! Like, it's such a great physical, physicality moment that I'm like, <laughs> very down for it was it was like one second shy of like a no like it was it was so close to that it was like we're bordering on cringe but we're not gonna go there we're gonna give you like real like frustration i yeah. feel like it's an appropriate amount of campy we talked a lot last yeah. season about the third movie and how they injected camp into all the wrong places and this is a moment where i'm like okay this is kind of like this is comic book level like no <laughs> the yeah. villain that villain was defeated once more yeah speech bubble pops up like, like <laughs> that goes into the next boxes. flash yeah anyway so now they're in the two they've grabbed the two-way port key and Corey, do you have thoughts about that i have thoughts um first i will say that this escape is just like really well contrived and executed 
um, choreographed, however you want to put it. I think it's beautiful and it's intense. Um, I, even as we were just saying, the camp in the in Voldemort's reaction, I think that that's funny and lovely and it just adds to it. Um, but we do really need to talk about the implications of a port key operating both ways. Um, they're not intended to be a shuttle back and forth between two locations. They're not, that's just not how they work. This is not really made clear in the movies, uh, but it definitely is in the books. However, this plot hole, this plot hole is also present in the books. I think that what we can deduce then is that the cup was always intended to be used both ways. Like this one was, this port key was deliberately made differently. And- Okay, you think this is part of um, Moody's slash Crouch's plot? Right, and therefore what are the implications to that? You know, that I think that all you can assume is that Voldemort planned to use it. And, but what was he going to use it for? To get back onto the grounds of Hogwarts? Was he planning, you know, a surprise attack on this huge, you know, group of students? Huge group of young people from, you know, three of the largest schools in Europe, you know, or that, you know, did they, the other, you know, theory that's really prevalent online is that did they plan to send someone back in Harry's place similar to like Moody slash Crouch Jr. You know, were were they going to send an, an imposter Harry back to get close to Dumbledore to get information from, does the Order of the Phoenix still exist? What is happening? So, I mean, it, there are a lot of different roads you can go down and the repercussions are truly horrifying. Because imagine a full-blown Death Eater attack on the school in this moment. Woefully yeah. unprepared. Sitting like, ducks, yeah. Yeah, no, nobody's prepared for this. And they're just essentially surrounded by a few hundred children. Like, okay, this could be a mass assassination. This It would also explain something that we're going to touch on more next week. It would explain Moody's lapse in keeping up with his polyjuice potion. Because as we know, he's about to you know go through some issues in a couple of minutes here. Right. But there's just a, like a lot going there that you don't really think about it until you recognize that, oh, this is a special circumstance because clearly there was an intention that this be used to get back to Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. By whom? It's hard to say. Right. And why that specific location, not back into the maze where it was, right? Like there's Exactly. It's right at where people would be celebrating the winter. And like you said, it's, it's not just like, all the young wizards, it's like all the professors, the people who teach them, it's all the headmasters. It's the minister of magic is there too. Like there's, they knew how big of a deal it was, right? Like that has to be the the path forward. Is that like- He them, wasn't supposed to come back. Them are the seven or 12 death, death eaters. <laughs> We're going right, you know, yeah. imagine- 12, 12. 12. Yeah, 12. 12. <laughs> I counted 12. But, but yeah, very spooky thing to think about. So um, the next scene, unfortunately, I kind of hated, I hated, but appreciated this. Uh, So we have Harry and Cedric's bodies both flopped back in front and center of the crowd, uh, which erupts in applause, only to be stopped by Fleur's scream when she realizes that something's wrong. She's the only one that's close enough that's paying attention. Um, Truly, I'm not okay (laughs) when Harry is sobbing, telling Dumbledore that Voldemort is back and he's protecting Cedric's body. Like, I will probably cry. So let's just keep going. He (laughs) couldn't leave him there. Yeah, Yeah, go ahead. Stop my breakdown. I mean, Daniel's performance here is is heartbreaking. 
as much as we maybe took the mickey out of him a bit ago uh to use a british slang phrase nice call um anytime uh this is a moment that i thought was just really really well done uh and and it's it's devastating and heartbreaking to watch um all of it the other person to pick out here and i know you haven't gotten to him yet and i'm sure that you will uh is jeff rawl's performance as amos diggory um just yeah. like oh my god sobbing when he's like that's that's my son that's my boy that like, just mm-hmm. heartbreaking <sighs> wail that grief wail is it's piercing and i do like in this moment that where dumbledore is trying to kind of comfort him comfort harry he kind of has his head and he's kind of petting his head he's like listen you're home you both are but then when um amos comes down and he's like just like kind of just there for him while he's having that grief howl i'm like i I had never <laughs> heard that Dumbledore line before. Like, you're home, you both are. You're so, like, that, oof, I just got goosebumps like saying that back out. I had never heard that until this rewatch. Like, because I think I, you're so focused on the shock of the crowd. And I think there's like, you're, you're like, I remember watching it and being like, the only person who's like sort of crying here is Cho. But you're like, you're just, everyone else, it is complete shock. There's no, level of sadness yet because it's it's like how could we be sad when like this is not at all what we expected right Right. it's like like people could die right but like not at this not at the end not when they both come back together it just like didn't make sense as they were all like getting ready to celebrate and saw the two hogwarts people together like i think it was just so well done the wide shots of the audience the the close-ups on different faces the pans to the characters. I'm so happy, like Corey, that you called out um, uh, uh, Amos Diggory's like actor's name because that is the line that just it like it is a gut, like it is a knife to the gut. Like it is, yeah, gut wrenching. That's a great, yeah. yeah. Fucking, we have to move on. Otherwise, I will go back to the <laughs> darkest place. Um, sad things. Also sad. So there's just the howls of grief and everybody's kind of figuring out what's happening because they've kept everybody in their seats. Obviously, if it was a celebration, they would have said, come on down. A little bit annoyed here with the organization of this, like, final ending. Like, why are kids allowed to, like, run down onto the field, but some of the teachers are kind of slowly getting up and some are just clapping. I'm like, no, somebody should... Again, I get really upset about the lack of organization of things at Hogwarts. We've talked about my feelings about serving utensils. We've talked about my feelings about the order of things. This was one where I kind of went, no, we should have been a little more structured, but I will let you know. I mean, I think Paul put it most accurately that everyone is just in a state of shock. Um, I have a note here that I I just feel like everyone looks really indifferent, but I think that it's probably more accurate to say that it's, it's, it's shock. It's not grief yet because they really haven't had even a moment to process what the fuck is happening. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So while kind of all this chaos is going on, people are kind of figuring out what's happening and everybody's shocked and nobody's getting to do the celebration they thought they were going to have, Moody starts to drag Harry away as the crowd. <laughs> I said, unfortunately, there's a snafu here. I said this, the crowd behind them as he's dragging Harry back is starting to disperse, except <laughs> this is a boo-boo because if you go back to the, the, then it flashes back to the scene where everybody's kind of listening to Amos Diggory cry and there's a bunch of people standing around. You see the twins walking behind Harry and Moody as if they're leaving, but then you go that back to the scene where everybody's crying and standing around. There's the twins right there standing still. Mm-hmm. So either they time traveled. <laughs> I listen. I said you. You see Fred and George next to Cho. You see Fred and George next to Crumb. You see Fred and George at the front. You see <laughs> Neville looking down, and then mm-hmm. you see Neville looking up, and then you. I was like, 
<laughs> Number one, I feel bad for these kids. Like, how many times did they film this fucking scene? <laughs> it's like, like I know that that had to be why, right? And then, like, it's like, like I'm honestly, the Fred and George walking away, they could have just been done. Like, they're like, I'm offset. I've done enough takes of this, you know. Like, but it was Listen, like, yeah, it, it didn't logically made sense but each emotion was still felt it was at first i was like they're indifferent they're not crying like we saw cho for five seconds you couldn't give us anything more than that you know (laughs) not even five seconds it's like like but then i'm like no it's shock like it is shock and then it's like you know what the audience is too shocked to recognize that people are bouncing around but it's totally a (laughs) boo-boo It definitely is. Like yeah. I said, there was no structure. If they had said, hey, kids, stay in your seat. We're going to greet the winners. And like, we are going to be like, every stay here. And then this is going to be the process for when you can come see the kid. No, there was none of that. There's just some kids on the field, some kid up here, some people, quote unquote, behind <laughs> Moody and Harry leaving. Like, just chaos, chaos. Not Nobody thought well. to like cast a spell on the kids to freeze them in their spot. Like, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mobilize the students. Oh, yeah. fuck. Oh, that's terrible and amazing um so anyway so harry is being dragged out by moody crouch so moody has harry sit down in his office this is where i said it was kind of weird i think it is and Corey and i have debated about what, what the space is that they're in it is i think the defense against the dark arts office it just looks completely different because as they're walking in you kind of see the staircase that we normally see so mm-hmm. But then there's a curtain okay, that he up, pulls. They, they walk up into the office, right? Yes. 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 And he closes yeah. okay. that door okay. with a weird lock on it. He locks him in, which I thought, I'm like, yeah. first clue, Harry. But so and then... he looks at him. He he locks it and then turns around and kind of snarls. Never had noticed that before. I was like, oh, they were telling us he was evil before the polyjuice potion started running out. Why didn't I think anything of when he locked the door? You're right. I, th- I feel like this room that they end up in is like an antechamber Maybe it's more of his personal space because you're right. They come in and it is definitely the DADA office, which I know we've already talked about. There yeah. might need to be some like magic editing that happens here. Um, Cause I don't know if that was. I can't remember. Episode 14 or whatever. Anyway, but you're right. They come into his office and then they like step into this other space that he pulls a curtain. Yeah. To yeah. close off. Like, so you've already locked him in and now you put a curtain like, Harry, look around. <laughs> Things are going great for you. You're trapped. Red flag. <laughs> you in danger, boy. Um, so Moody does throw a stool out for Harry to sit down on, and he begins to ask him about um, what it was like. What it was like to stand in his presence. Um, Moody starts to kind of have his body contort and reaches for more polyjuice, polyjuice potion from his flask, only to find it that it's empty. I just wrote poor planning in all caps. Um, but then he begins. <laughs> he asks Harry if there were others in the graveyard, and he's still kind of scrambling around looking for more polyjuice potion i said just kind of random places too it's like i don't know if you had a store of a potion that's like keeping you hidden wouldn't you have it in a centralized location not just in random drawers and desks and whatever like this felt silly hermione worked on that shit for hermione worked on that shit for months in you know the second book it's precious (laughs) right and he'd have to have made presumably multiple batches of it Uh my only my only explanation here is that Again, he was not planning to need it anymore. Correct. I think you're right. So he's kind of just checking anywhere like, oh, shit, did I leave any anywhere as a backup store? Okay. Um, but there is a moment here where he leaves the like curtained off area and the sound effects that they use almost make it sound or seem like he's opening a door. And at first I thought he opened a door to go into another room. Really? But no, he just pulls that curtain open again and goes in the other room and like opens a box and pulls bottles out of there. So anyway, Harry starts to get wise 
to obviously that uh, Moody's bad because Moody says graveyard and he goes I'm sorry I didn't think I said anything about a graveyard and Moody comes around the corner he just <laughs> says the phrase marvelous creatures dragons aren't they which is a weird awful horror movie realization line I guess that he's a bad guy and no good and that's where we end <laughs> <laughs> that's it that's the end of uh, this chunky chunk anyway yeah that's it we did it we made it yeah speaking of thoughts I have a couple of questions um, Paul you're our guest we'll start with you today <laughs> I said, from this chunk that we just watched, what would you keep like a newly created Terminator hand? <laughs> I would keep the that's my boy. And I'm sorry if that's like anyone else's. But I just think th that scene could have went so wrong. And that quote is what like pulled it all together. I think that if you get nothing else, that's what you have to keep. Yeah. I agree. Corey, what would you keep like your newly created Terminator hand? <laughs> Solid. Uh, I said the uh, molten magic ball. I dig it. When their wands connect? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that thing. I like that. I like that thing. Yeah. Um, it was cool to watch. Not, as we already said, not really what I had in my brain uh, when I read it. What about you? What are you cradling like your terminator hand if you say the terminator hand i don't know what i'm gonna do oh no well no i kept it easy um voldemort's outfit oh my god mm. the way it drifts around and stuff i'm like i would wear that <laughs> uh, it is like it that. is flowing goals you know for halloween i made a cloak and it was definitely not as cool as that yeah like that there were layers to that thing like like Sometimes I think they kind of like cheaped out on some of the Dementors. Like some of the Dementors are amazing. Some of them are like a little like, but when I like, when I see like this, I'm like that, that costs money and it's just rags. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it has like a mind of its own and a personality in the last yeah. film. Yeah. Uh, his robe like strangles people. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah in that tower at the battle of Hogwarts, it's very mm. weird. Um. So Paul, what would you rip off like a screaming mask? Uh, I mean, maybe that. No, like I think, like I think that, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but that moment where Harry runs away to hide behind the gravestone, Voldemort fires a green curse at him, which I can only assume is the killing curse. Mm -hmm. Voldemort does not say the spell out loud. He does not really he's like i need to look at you when i kid was that his first or his second i should say his second attempt to kill him is that what that was or was he trying to just like bring him back and stop like dude for us book lovers you can't just like throw yeah. a green curse out you know that's with the you know protagonist and the antagonist like it, to me i would i would cut that because he throws that spell out and then it's like what and then harry's like comes back and then that's when he like grabs a pork and he like gets away and i was like i needed more like drama for the first time he attempts to kill him not when their wands connect i should say not when their wands right. connect. that was the drama it was like beforehand and also when he does that curse it hits like part of the gravestone that looks like a bathtub and it just, <laughs> just look at it i don't i don't know it doesn't make sense as to what is this on the side of this gravestone uh, but like it it looks like he fires a killing curse at a bathtub as harry runs behind a corner and i just <laughs> i've cut it i so. feel like there's a there's a line about the about that in the book where he says he like 
fired off an angel off of a tombstone or something like he did he does chip something off of a tombstone trying to get at mm-hmm. harry but yeah they should be more specific like well, what was that yeah maybe <laughs> yeah. maybe i need to look at the before not just that it was like a the tub <laughs> like that's all, that's all i could see interesting yeah. interesting Corey, what would you rip off like a screaming mask um i said voldy's orgasm while he's touching <laughs> harry's forehead <laughs> that's also solid that's also solid like nope. anyway uh what nope. are you gonna cut what are you gonna uh, get of? what are you ripping off like a screaming mask tell me please uh what i would rip off um i don't like the organization at the end of the tournament i feel like a big event like this somebody <laughs> would have said okay kids stay in your seat we will greet the champion and then we'll have a time for everybody to come down the breath it's just a willy-nilly and unorganized, I would be able to yeah, cut that. They definitely got, did not have a stage could, manager. No, you got better security at like a dive bar, you know, than that place. A kid's like, soccer what? team. They'd say, wait until the kids <laughs> yeah. have, have shaken hands with the other team and then you can greet your child. Like you don't just run up on, no. no. Yeah. Anyway, so that's my question. And nobody important. realized that they were missing for an hour. <laughs> no, they don't care. They don't, they don't care. care, right? This yes, is hot yes, Good luck to y'all. Okay, Corey, what do you have for us this week for an unanswerable question? All right, our favorite segment, the probably unanswerable question. So this is a little bit long-winded, but the essence of it is during Priori and Cantatum, when, you know, these, I I believe that the word that Dumbledore uses in the book is like these echoes of the spells that were cast um, appear from Voldemort's wand. My question here is theological, I think, um, but like how much of a connection to the living world do these quote unquote echoes have? Because if we sit here and think about it, they're they're acting largely like ghosts would, but it is expressly stated that they are not ghosts. Um, but when we think about it, we see Cedric, who is already aware of and seems to on some level have come to terms with his death enough to you know ask to have his body taken back um frank in the book like you said frank gets a line here um and he has figured out or surmises that they are wizards and then to top it off lily and james somehow know that they can linger long enough to give harry time to escape and they also know about the port key they tell him to get back to the port key so like I, again sorry i got long-winded here but like if they are just echoes of a spell not an echo of the person not a ghost how would they have any of this information go (laughs) my only theory is that at least for harry's parents part his wand is involved in this his wand forced those people to come out so maybe it's like a patronus kind of for him in that moment because he's involved so otherwise like if it wasn't him say somebody else like a ministry official did priority income taught him and just saw these ghost people whatever but these people all have a connection to harry that talked to harry so they work as a, hey, buddy, please live. Yeah, like, do they do they live as ghosts would in sort of a traditional sense that you can't see them until something, like, like on Halloween, ghosts can roam the streets, right? Like, is it like after Priori and Cantantum, like, ghosts can appear? Uh, why that doesn't hold up to me a little bit is they come out of the wand. Like, they, you know, it's very much attached to the wand. But to me, it's like, are they sort of around 
this universe all the time. So they can see what's happening. They understand what's happening. There's not necessarily an, an afterlife in the Harry Potter series, right? Or one that we can surmise, I don't believe. There um, kind of is. Just when, is there... in, the, in the next movie, when Luna, or the next book, when Luna and Harry discuss just beyond the veil, these voices are been, are heard speaking. So it's almost like there has to be some sort of an imprint, at least, of these people that exists. Mm -hmm. But like I said, I think it's only actually speaking to Harry in this case because Harry's involved. If he wasn't, I don't think right. they, they would have any semblance right. of their it's not selves. Like a, it's not like a ghost, like a haunting. It's not like a ghost, like a, you know, you're right. It's like, it's like there's this other world and they can, they're sort of connected. They understand what Harry's going through. They sort of like live in his brain, his consciousness, whatever, mm -hmm. like can feel his feelings. But And in this moment, this is what Harry needed. This is what so. Harry needed. Like, he got instructions right maybe, yeah like, maybe he was body. even thinking to himself yeah. what should i do about cedric and yeah. this imprint kind of shadow thing yeah hmm. yeah it's it's interesting i you know i kind of looked at it similar to the you figures that appear you know in a few books when he uses the resurrection stone like we know that these are not ghosts um, we know that it's not actually resurrecting the people um, but it is some kind of an imprint uh, of that person, a representation of that person. I, I I think that I think of it kind of along the ways that Paul was describing that, you know, these some form of these humans exist on another plane that is either to, able to see or, you know, know what's happening on this plane that we're experiencing and this spell or this phenomenon, because it's not a spell in this moment, um, that's occurring acts more of acts as more of a doorway between these two planes and allows them to communicate and allows them to cross over, if that's the word. Um, I don't know. It's an interesting thing to kind of yeah. mull about uh, because that's... Why would they know all of this information mm -hmm. Just and just have it readily available for him? Um, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. One. I didn't traumatize you, see? That wasn't so bad. That wasn't involving animals or sex with giants. No, S Cedric really not seeming upset that he's dead. No, very chill with it already. Very Super chill. Super at peace. God love him. He's just a Hufflepuff. He just wants people around him to be cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Yeah, you're right. We gotta figure that out. Like, what was what what was in between there that allowed him to just be like, well, <laughs> you know, like in those did he thirty get minutes with somebody? I don't know. Yeah. That is it for this week. We have one episode left in this season, um, but like, make sure you're following us in all the places, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, uh, get all the information for what's happening this week and next week. And uh, we'll see you for the season finale next week. Paul, thank you so much for joining us again. Oh my gosh. So happy to be here. Uh, I love that you're already roped into your episode next season. Cannot um, wait. <laughs> season five to discuss your favorite character Grop cannot wait i might i literally might need to reread the book before we do that yes yeah <laughs> should we personally send you alcohol for that episode <laughs> we just have it like as a gift before you hop on yes, we just do that. start getting the, care packages the, the day of before the order of the phoenix is so good too like everything about it is so good and then it's just like 50 pages of a giant that lives in the woods. Didn't you say that you actually skipped that part of the book? Believe so. Yeah. Oh, dear Jesus. All right. Well, we will the work you time. through. We'll work yeah. you through your feelings on that next time. <laughs> yeah. But thank you for coming. Oh my gosh. Thank you guys so much for having me. And we will see you all next week. Love you. See you. Bye. See you bye. next week. Bye.
a few decades. It's or it's been a you know a decade and a half since he's you know gotten off. I yeah, <laughs> touched a young boy. Yeah, probably. I mean, oh God, <laughs> you were what? going there. Why right? do we always end you up were... there on this podcast? <laughs> uh, who else you... was raised in the Catholic Church? Because <laughs> <laughs> who else was raised with that? Oh, so a you've been touched. Uh. Oh. My.